back to Get Outside with Kids with Kate and Jen. This is the podcast that helps you have more awesome memories outside with your family. And today, Jen, we're talking about one of my favorite topics, which is the ocean. The ocean kind of brought us together, Jen, right? It did. We worked at a place that had things to do with the ocean at the Vancouver Aquarium. And we started, I think, at like the same week or we were in like the same training or like, you know, those as they throw the new people together. And that's originally how we met. And here we are. Is it like eight years later now, Kate, since we first met? Uh, nine, actually. It was, yeah, it was 2014 to 2023. So there you go. And, you know, my first impression of Jen was like, wow, this person has a lot of energy and she talks quite fast. And I think anyone who listens to our podcast is like, those two things are still true. Um <laughs> So our guest today who's coming up is Rochelle Strauss, who's an award-winning author and also happens to be one of my friends. I met her while I was working at the Vancouver Aquarium and we have stayed in touch through our jobs over the last several years. Um, And she's got some amazing books um, that are already out. Her latest one is called The Global Ocean and it's all about, it's for kids, it's a kid's book, all about the ocean and stories of hope around the ocean. I think, Jen, when I think about this and, you know, how much our kids understand these concepts, I think of my kid when she was about three and we went down with my younger kid who was probably uh, six months, eight months, maybe something like that. She was wearing a little pair of shoes. The baby was wearing a pair of shoes in the stroller. And I had my older kid walk, who was a toddler at the time, walking along beside me. And I'd been talking to my kids about how things go in the ocean that shouldn't like rubbish and garbage and how this is not good for animals. I really didn't realize, Jen, how deeply this had sunk in until the baby somehow managed to kick her shoe off. You know how kids should do this? Babies oh, oh do gosh. this with it. It's so totally. annoying. They don't stay on so their little annoying. feet. To be honest, she's probably more like 10 months old. And anyway, we were out on a jetty and she kicked her shoe off and it landed in the water. And the water was very far beneath us. I couldn't reach down and grab the shoe. The wind picked up as we were there and the shoe floated off. My first thought was like, "Uh uh-oh, a shoe dropped in the water. My kid, my three-year-old's first thought was, this is the actual end of the world. And she proceeded to scream and cry for, I'm not kidding, 30 minutes straight saying, shoes in the ocean, the animals live in the ocean and they shouldn't and they're going to eat it and they're going to die for 30 minutes, Jen. 30 straight minutes. Yeah, I can picture your older child is she's like a quite like sensitive, you know, little soul and also a rule follower. Like she loves a rule. And the rule you had shared was, you know, we don't throw garbage in the ocean. <laughs> Good rule to have. But sometimes even the best of our attempts, a shoe blows its way into the ocean and we literally can't get it back. And I could just picture her little broken heart. I I remember this day because I think I saw you later that day. And for weeks, we both went out every walk and looked for that shoe because I remember being like, if we find it, she won't be so upset anymore. <laughs> we looked all along the shoreline thinking maybe, maybe it's washed up somewhere. But what really hit me then is she was only three and she absolutely understood this environmental concept, which I thought was probably a bit beyond her. I didn't realize my words had sunk in. To be honest, I might back up a little on like the intensity of the messaging I'm giving my kids because it was a big, big upset moment. But Rochelle Strauss, our, our guest today, she's got lots of experience doing this and finding a way to land somewhere between the doom and gloom of like environmental issues and hope for kids. 
And she's done an amazing job of it. She's winning great awards. She's published tons of books and she's got more on the way. And she's also going to tell us, Jen, about what we can look forward to in the future, right? Yeah. Her her child is now grown and has just moved out of the home. Um, and I think she's got some great tidbits and stories to share uh, for those of us who are still in the throes of young children about what we can look forward to and it was it all worth it raising an outdoorsy child and how that paid off. Welcome to the podcast, Rochelle. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here too. So Rochelle and I met, I don't know how many years ago, but we worked together when we were both at uh, at previous jobs and we really connected over the whole sort of environmental movement, environmental education um, and empowering kids and youth to get outside and do cool things. So it's really nice, Rochelle, to talk to you now in what is a very different setting from where we both were when we first connected many years ago. Uh, but it's really great to have you here and to be talking about your latest book, The Global Ocean, following on from the success of your first two books, One Well and Tree of Life. Can you tell us a little bit about The Global Ocean, your new book? I sure can. Thanks. And thank you so much for inviting me on today. I really appreciate it. Um, my new book, The Global Ocean, came out in May, and uh, it was a passion of mine to write about the ocean. Um, when I wrote my previous book, One Well, The Story of Water on Earth, um, I submitted proposal after proposal after proposal that had an ocean theme. It wasn't what they were looking for at the time. And then I kind of parked the idea of an ocean book and a decade went by. And finally, I got a chance to uh, dive back in. So they say the ocean looks at the perspective of the uh, seven principles of ocean literacy. So the things that we need to know about the ocean, about its impact that it has on us and the impact we have on the ocean, about the species, about how it shapes all life on Earth. Um, then it explores some of the issues that are impacting the ocean, some of the things that we're doing that affect the health of the ocean. Uh, but what I'm doing that's a little bit different than most doom and gloom environmental books is to share stories of hope. And I call these stories ripples of change. So for each environmental issue that the book talks about, it also shows something positive that kids can look at as opportunities for change, potential places they could get involved, even to start thinking about careers and how they can protect the global ocean through their own work and personal and professional lives. So that is the global ocean in a nutshell. Um, and at the end, of course, as you said, it's about inspiring and empowering kids to take action. So there's always recommendations about things that they can do in the short term and in the long term. I think it's, so, it's such it's such an inspiring way of putting it, Rochelle, that it's not all doom and gloom. I'd love to hear, I think you've told me, um, you know, in our previous conversations a little bit about how the book's been received. And in particular, when you've been doing readings with kids there, can you tell us how they sort of, how deep is their understanding of these kind of environmental issues? What kind of ages, firstly, are you pitching this book at. How have you found that process of interacting with your readers and with kids who are sort of learning about these issues at these readings? I I love working with kids. And unfortunately with COVID, it's it's a little bit fewer and further between than before and, and with a screen often in front of us. And yet there's still an incredible connection. I can still see those moments that the light bulb goes off and that they start putting two and two together, even in ways that I didn't imagine. I mean, obviously there's the connections that I know and the connections that I intend to share. And sometimes they make connections on their own. So their response to the book has been amazing. Um, they know a lot more than we think they know. They're intuitive a lot more than we think they are. Um, as I said, they're seeing connections that, you know, are, are so obvious to us, we don't see them anymore. And then they see them and remind you that they're there. 
Um, but what excites me the most is how keen they are to get involved. And so at, at the end of every presentation to hear an eight-year-old say, well, I did this and I went on this. And while I was there, I picked up this. And these actions may be small in the grand scheme of the world. But like I tell every child in one of my presentations, there's no action that's too small. And they, they should never underestimate the fact that an action they take can have unseen consequences after, like positive consequences and cause a domino effect. So their response to the book has been incredibly positive and their response to the good news stories has left them optimistic as opposed to depressing. And um, the first draft of the book was very depressing, which is why I tried to infuse these good news stories in there to get that enthusiasm, to get that sense of hope and optimism and to help young people understand that they have the power to get involved and to take action and to get outside and do stuff that will protect the global ocean. Uh, now, your first book that really took off one well, um, I think it sold over half a million copies. So lots of wonderful copies half out there. A the million. Hands I know. That is a huge a lot number. Of books. Huge number. <laughs> yeah. And as I'm reading from your website, has won a number of awards as well. You've got a whole list here on your website stating all of the awards for the book. Um, I, I'm always curious, you know, I feel like I've got all these ideas for, for books, but like, how did, how did the process start and how did this story come to to be the story that you wanted to share when you were first going down that journey? Like, like what was that impetus that was like, no, I need to make a book out of this. I need to inspire children. How did that get started for you? Oh, that's a great question, Jen. Um, I always wanted to write. And when I did my grad work, I did an environmental studies degree, a master's degree in environmental education. And I kind of got really obsessed with kids' books. And the reason I got obsessed with kids' books is we were talking about nature deficit disorder at the time, still do, talking about the fact that kids are not getting outside, uh, which is why I love your podcast. Um, but there is a physical separation between young people and nature. So how do we bring nature to them when they can't always get outside? Or if they're living in a city, and, and yes, parks are great, but if they're surrounded by a concrete jungle, they're not seeing nature as much as we would like them to, or they're not going out as much as we would like them to. And then how do we bring these incredible worlds to them? So books were always a, a passion of mine. I grew up reading Jacques Cousteau's books. I'm pretty sure I learned how to read by reading the, the captions underneath the pictures. So for me, it started way back then that books would be a wonderful opportunity to help young people connect with the outside world. How it, this, the first book that I wrote was Tree of Life, and that got started because I was working at uh, the Royal Ontario Museum and I had done a biodiversity gallery. I got very interested in biodiversity gallery. At the same time, I was writing a picture book that had absolutely nothing to do with nonfiction. And um, the book got rejected, as it probably should have. But the publisher asked me if I'd ever be interested in writing a nonfiction book. And so when they asked me to call if I had any ideas, I called and pitched tree of life. And then that happened very quickly. And, and very quickly after tree of life, one well arrived as well. So uh, I think it was in the cards. Um, I like to say that the first book, the, the picture book was an accidental book with an intentional outcome. What an outcome as well. <laughs> Half a million. I just want to go back to that number, Rochelle, I'd say a huge congratulations to you because you also have like a full-time job um, and <laughs> to just quietly sell half a million books is just a crazy number. So that, that number has been blowing my mind since I saw that on your Instagram account. Congratulations on that. Um, and in terms of, I, I know you have all these ideas in your head about books as well. 
as soon as you finish a book, the process takes so long. As soon as you finish and launch one, I think you're already thinking about your next one, right? Like what do you see as next in your kind of um, your writing adventures here? And what kind of topics do you want to touch on for for kids and uh, environmental issues? Lots lots of great questions and sub-questions in there. Absolutely. The process takes a really long time from the start of an initial idea to the time the book is on shelves can be anywhere from two to three years for nonfiction picture books, because you have to leave time, A, for me to do the research and the writing, and then about the same amount of time for the illustrator to do the illustrations. So there was a huge gap between my One Well book and The Global Ocean, and I do not want there to be any more gaps (laughs) after that. So yes, I pretty much have to have proposals um, on the go at all times, and I'm always thinking about ideas. So I have a new book coming out in um, the fall of 2025. It's also about water, but it's for a younger age. It's going to be for five to eight-year-olds. I just got the green light on a sequel to One Well, so I'll be working on that now. But my, you know, to look at the process plan, I've got, uh, I will be writing a book this year. I have a proposal that will hopefully be going in in the next two months for another book. And I have another book, two other books that are currently um, ideating and figuring out what the proposal will be. But by the end of the year, I hopefully will have two more proposals in or three. So yeah, oh it, it's, it's a long, gosh. long range planning. <laughs> wow. That is crazy. <laughs> Rochelle, can you tell us how this kind of, firstly, your, your own education, your university education, your experience in a range of um, NGOs, youth serving organizations, museums, um, nonprofits, how did that inform your parenting journey? Your child is now not really a little kid anymore, <laughs> but how did all of that sort of experience and education inform your role as a parent? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I think that my passion for the for the natural world and my desire to be outside, I have always kind of dragged my own kid outside. And, and you're right, they're 19 now, so I'm less of an influence in that capacity, but I've watched them grow up and uh, have the same fascination for nature that I do. I, I love, you know, they're obsessed with cephalopods. I'm obsessed with cephalopods. We share, <laughs> we share videos and images of cephalopods all the time. I think they're also now obsessed with crabs, but they're a big outdoor person. They go kayaking, they go hiking, they go to, they, they went to overnight camp and outdoor adventure camp. And I think that has to do with the fact that as a young person, I made sure to take them outside all the time. We spent a lot of time outside exploring and discovering nature, learning about nature. Uh, I think one of my favorite memories is um, them on the kayak with me. They were about two and it was a one person kayak and they would sit on the kayak with me and we'd just go kayaking through the Gatineau's, um, exploring nature, seeing what we came up with and, and remembering, you know, talking about the species that we saw and talking about the interconnections and, and, you know, at two, they could identify a loon and a merganser and a beaver dam and all those things because we just were outside as much as we could be. How amazing. That's so cool. <laughs> I miss those walks. I miss those kayaks. They would tip me now. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And Rochelle, your uh, your little person is not so little anymore. Kate and I are still kind of in the throes of little people in our life, but just we just need to chime in the journey does get easier as they get older, right? We just need a little bit for parents who are a little bit further ahead of us that um, the journey of parenting gets gets easier. Yes, yes. It gets different. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say Fair it gets enough. easier. It gets different. 
Oh, <laughs> that is <but> sorry. <laughs> okay, we we don't need to know maybe that it gets easier. Then maybe we also would love to know if it pays off. You know, this investment yes. in taking kids outside <laughs> at a young age that might be enough for now, right, Jen? <laughs> that we can live with that. We can live with that. <laughs> it pays off one hundred percent. It it really does. I mean, and to to know that I spent that time outside with my own child and to see how that's influenced and shaped who they are now, it pays off. Even when they're crying, even when they get mucky, even when all things go south, it pays off. Rochelle, I'm also <laughs> kind of interested since I know your your kiddo has has left home. What does that what does life look like for you? You know, uh, you've raised an outdoorsy sort of kid, you've been outside a lot. For you and your partner now, what does life look like on your weekends and how do you kind of fill that time again? And what what sort of pursuits are you taking up? I mean, you're writing a lot of books. There's that. <laughs> you're busy, clearly. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> what does that transition, what does that look like for you and your family? Um, and the, and the transition, we were worried about the transition, but the transition was actually, I'm, a, I'm sorry to say, and I hope this doesn't offend them. It was easy. It was good. <laughs> um, uh, it was time. It was also, they left home right after the, like in the midst of the pandemic, after mm-hmm. the two years of being inside. Uh, it was important for them to get out and have the experiences that they didn't have in grade 11 or grade 12. And we were happy for them to go out and finally have those experiences. You know, they missed their latter half of high school. So the transition was really easy. I was worried about what I would do with the time. Um, But as I mentioned earlier, there's several books on my plate. So a lot of my (laughs) weekend is spent writing and researching. And my partner um, is an also has a full-time job as an artist. So they spend most of their weekends painting. (laughs) Um, But we do we do still get outside and and I may not get out on the hikes that I used to get, but I do try and get out for 30 minutes, 40 minutes a day and and have a good walk and clear my thoughts and enjoy looking at uh, the birds as they're as they're slowly starting to come back for the for the spring and enjoy watching the ones that have stuck around all summer. So or sorry, all winter. Um, Yeah, we have we have time technically. But it's so funny how quickly that time gets filled up with things, even when your kids aren't home anymore. Well, I guess writing a book will do that, hey? (laughs) (laughs) And taking care of all the things you said you'd get to later. (laughs) Rochelle, one of the questions we always ask our guests um, is about times when things went wrong. And you've had a lot of different experiences working with different um, organizations. And you shared a story here uh, when you worked at the Royal Ontario Summer Club where, you know, things didn't exactly go to plan. And I'd love for you to share that with our audience now. Oh, sure. Um, it's it's a Clearly, this was a long time ago, and it's left a resonating um, uh, process in my head. Oh, we love those head. type of stories. <laughs> <laughs> So my first job after grad school, I taught at the Royal Ontario Museum Summer Club, which is essentially a camp, but it's a camp based on the museum itself. So there's different, you know, you could do Egypt, you could do natural history, you could do whatever. So I taught the natural history program and it was two weeks. And the rules were we didn't stay at the ROM. We had to go out and do adventures every day. And we went hiking all over the city. We went to parks in the North End, the East End, the West End, et cetera. Every day, all day, we were outside, rain or shine. And you can plan for a lot of weather. You can, you can really do a good job planning and being ready. The hardest thing to plan for is heat, though. There's, there's only so many layers you can take off before you can't take off any more layers. And I had planned for us to go to um, Scarborough Bluffs, which is in the east end of Toronto, and conveniently does not have easy public transit access. And this was before the internet, so or well, there was internet, but you couldn't really... Uh, Google map your best way there. And it was probably the hottest day of the summer. 
So I took my eight to 10 year olds out. We got to the Scarborough Bluffs. The bus let us off probably half a kilometer away from the bluffs themselves and it's bluffs. So they let us off at the top of the bluffs. And we had about a 45 minute hike in to get to where I had intended us to go. Clearly I had not planned this well. It was hot and the kids were getting really, really cranky. And I, it was, it was going sideways and we were going to lose them. And I was getting very close to just turning us around and getting us back on the bus and heading back. But I kind of knew there was some special stuff at the bottom of the bluffs and there's some amazing things to discover. So I paused. I asked them if they were cranky. They were like, yes. I asked them if they wanted to go home. They said, yes. I asked them if they were fed up. They said, yes. I mean, all of them. There was 20 kids. There was not a single kid who was keen to keep going. And I looked at them and I said, okay, what if we all yell and scream and whine for the next two minutes? And they looked at me like I was a lunatic. And I said, no, seriously, let's all just stop, yell and scream and get our jiggies out. Like, let's just complain, complain, complain. And we did, all of us, the, myself, the kids, the, the assistants, we all just, we were all miserable and we just vented and whined and yelled. And it took all of 30 seconds before everybody was in stitches and laughing hysterically. And as soon as that happened, that moment was broken and everybody regrouped and they were keen and ready to keep going. And it's, it, it's such a silly thing, but I've leaned into that all my life, it's like when things are going bad, stop and do the extreme opposite of what's happening. Like get out your frustrations, you know, throw something like a, like a, a rock into the water, scream, yell, whatever it is, it breaks that tension. And I would say 90% of the time that that's happened and I've done that, everybody's been good to go again and, and had a resurgence of energy. I can totally see that working with maybe not my three-year-old, but I can see that working with my five-year-old a little bit, you know, particularly if it's a group setting and you can kind of bring some humor into it and recognize yeah, like, I love that idea. It would work with young kids because they, they like the silly. They right? do, it's, yes. It's that silly, it's the unexpected. And as soon as you give them something unexpected, there's a regrouping and recharging. I was like, Kate, I think we're going to try that on our next hike together. You know, when we hit that wall, uh, either a hundred meters in or a kilometer <laughs> in, as you always do, um, I think we're going to try that on our next one. Like that was a great, a great takeaway. Like as parents, you're so often saying like, stop whining, stop yelling. So I feel like when you throw it back to kids to be like, you can yell and whine as much as you want, but only during this timer and you set a timer. Um, I feel like, yeah, my kids would love that idea. I think that's fantastic. I'll tell you a, a little sidebar story. My kid was a counselor last summer and took kids on a hike and the same thing happened. And they remembered my story and they did it with them. Only they told they were older kids. They were 14. So they were allowed to swear for two minutes. <laughs> And they, they did, and then they were right back at it and happy as can be. <laughs> They're allowed to swim. <laughs> Hopefully no parents standing around like, what no. is this summer camp exactly? What are they learning here? <laughs> Just to go back to your latest book, The Global Ocean, if you had to summarize, you know, what you hope kids are taking away from that and what you hope it will bring for parents as well, how would you wrap up those two things? For me, the biggest takeaway is hope. I mean, the book discusses all the issues, the impacts that, that we're having, the effects of climate change, et cetera. But if, if young readers are walking away inspired and hopeful, then they're interested and they're engaged. They'll want to learn more. And in all likelihood, they'll take some kind of action, or at least they'll have the knowledge and wherewithal to understand how our behaviors are affecting the planet 
and the capacity to shift even ever so slightly. So hope and inspiration. Um, just to finish off then, Rochelle, are there any of those sort of ripples of, of, of hope stories that you have from your book that you'd like to share with us? You know, organizations, individuals, kids doing amazing things that gave you that spark of hope? Because I know it can be very depressing writing about these things, not just reading about them, but actually writing them. But what's the story of like somebody who or a group who really inspired you while you're putting this work together? Oh, that's it's hard to pick one. But you know what? Today is World Seagrass Day. So I'm going to pick... <laughs> I'm going to pick the stories of the organizations around the world, like the Seagrass Project, that are actually rebuilding seagrass meadows. Um, the seagrass meadows are so important, you know, for habitat, for um, carbon uh, sequestering, for protecting um, and preventing runoff. And so in honor of Seagrass Day today, I'm going to say my, my most favorite and most inspiring project is that young people are actually out there, young people, kids out there planting seagrass pods and packages and trying to help restore seagrass meadows around the world. Wow, that is just so fantastic. I'm going to have to look up the International Seagrass Day. I work in social media and I know my social media days well, but Seagrass Day was one that I did not have on my calendar. Uh, so I will add that in now. Um, for sure. <laughs> Michelle, for our listeners here today, uh, where is the best place that they can buy one of your amazing award-winning books? Well, they should be available at all your favorite local booksellers. And I always encourage to shop local, of course, but they're also available at Indigo and Amazon and uh, any of the, the big chain bookstores can be ordered online. I can confirm. I saw it at Chapters the other day when I was in there and I was like, oh, <gasps> I showed my kid, look, my friend wrote this book. She wrote it. And it was the first time, I think I told you this, Rochelle, the first time my kid had actually realized that people write books. <laughs> I was like, this is Rashid, my friend. It was a very, very cool moment. Um, Rochelle, if people would like to follow you on social media on a website, where can they find you? Sure. My website is rochellestress.com, easy enough. And my Instagram handle is at Rochelle Strauss author. Great. Well, thank you so much, Rochelle. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Um, and I look forward, I know that you and I, our work paths, we, we, our work paths cross quite a lot. I know we're going to be talking again soon, but it has been a pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Um, I really appreciate uh, talking to both of you and I hope we get to do it again soon. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Rochelle. As always, we will link to all of Rochelle's links into the show notes. So please make sure you are checking those out and finding out where you can support her with her book. Um, make sure, of course, if you're listening to this podcast, that you get the latest updates by following us over on Instagram with Get Outside With Kids. And we'd love for you to hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you have enjoyed today's episodes or any of our other episodes, we always appreciate those five-star reviews. Make sure you tune in next week when we'll be bringing on on another amazing guest and sharing more tips on how you can get outside with your kids.